Welcome to Northern Latitudes. I'm Bill Alt. Sarah Cox is an award-winning journalist and author based in Victoria, BC, covering energy and environmental politics for the Narwhal. In 2021, Sarah's investigative reporting on the Seasite Dam won the World Press Freedom Prize and the Canadian Journalism Foundation's Jackman Award for Excellence in Journalism. She joins us today to talk about the plight of the spotted owls in BC's old growth forests. Welcome to Northern Latitude, Sarah. Well, thank you very much for having me. The spotted owl, I knew they were in danger, but I had no idea to the extent this species was in trouble. Can you tell us a little bit about the spotted owl? Sure. So the spotted owl is is a medium-sized owl, and it's, it's kind of chocolate-colored with namesake white spots. And it has been in the limelight for decades and decades because it lives only in old growth forests. And of course, in in British Columbia, we've been busy cutting down these old growth forests for many decades. And um, the spotted owl nests only in old growth trees and it preys primarily on two other denizens of old growth, which are pack rats and flying squirrels. Um, so it's very much synonymous with old growth forest. If you take a spotted owl in the wild out of an old growth forest, it cannot survive. It evolved to live with old growth forests. And the spotted owl, as you mentioned, is highly endangered. There's only one wild-born spotted owl left in Canada's wild, three in total. Um, that's a bit of a longer story. And we've known about this for decades. Scientists have been sounding the alarm bell about the spotted owl since the 1980s when surveys were done and there weren't nearly as many spotted owls um, found as were believed to have been in the forest. So historically, we're talking about a population in BC of about a thousand individuals, not including uh, unmatched um, uh, owls and chicks. And here we are from the 1980s where we had a couple dozen down to less than 20 in the 1990s down to one wild-born spotted owl today. And this owl is a victim of a lot of things. I mean, the most obvious one is the, the lumbering of uh, old growth forests, but it's also been very much a victim of politics, correct? In a way, yes. I mean, as I said, it's it has kind of become synonymous with the destruction of old growth forests. So as um, old growth forests have been cut down and the owls... Um, habitat in Canada, which it's only ever been found in BC, so has the spotted owl uh, declined. And so what uh, what has happened is that we haven't balanced out industrial logging with protecting the spotted owl and other old growth dependent species. And, and here we are today in this situation where we're spending 
a lot of money trying to basically resuscitate the species in Canada with very intensive last minute efforts to bring it back through um, a breeding center, which is hatching spotted owl eggs and incubators and through last year for the first time releasing captive born spotted owls back into the wild. But basically if there's not enough habitat, if there's not enough old growth forest for the spotted owl and for its needs for juvenile spotted owls to disperse, meaning they move away from the place they were born and, and find a mate in another region and, and start nesting there and reproducing there, um, then we just are not going to have spotted owls. And we're spending a lot of money on this bird. And I, I and I don't mean that in a bad way because I'm all about environmentalism and saving animals. But this this is it's amazing when you start looking into it of how much money we're trying we're spending to try and save this bird. Yes, and I think that a point that's been made by by many people, biologists included, is that the time for intervention is earlier on. When when a species is at risk of extinction, either nationally or globally, we need to start taking measures to protect it before the 11th hour. And of course, in the spotted owl, we didn't do that until the 11th hour. So yes, we are spending lots of money. We're we're obligated under Canada's Species at Risk Act to, to try to uh, prevent uh, extirpations and, and extinctions. If we, had we taken more comprehensive measures earlier, we would not be in the situation that we're in today. And getting back to the political side of it, that's kind of a result of two levels of government. I don't know, I, I wouldn't say disagreeing, but certainly not maybe being on the same page when it comes to saving the species. Yeah, it's it's very complicated and a little bit messy. So So basically we have federal legislation to protect species at risk. We have an obligation to protect species at risk on federal lands, but federal lands are only 1% of British Columbia. And in, in just kind of um, going backwards in 1996, BC and other provinces signed an accord to protect species at risk. And they agreed to step up and enact legislation and policies to protect species at risk of extinction on provincial lands. Many provinces, including BC, did not follow through with that. So we have a situation where uh, automatic protections only happen for species on federal land. BC's Wildlife Act only protects four species, not the spotted owl. And then we look at what the federal government can do and what the federal government is always very reluctant to do because of they don't want to upset the apple cart of, of provincial federal relations and annoy the provinces. But the, the federal government does have powers under the Federal Species at Risk Act to step in to manage species on provincial land when the province, when they were at, at risk of extinction and, and the province isn't stepping up. And this has been going on for years where there's been a threat by the federal government to step in and take over decisions such as logging permits that are normally issued by the BC government. The BC government says, oh, we're going to take action to protect the spotted owl. We're going to start up a breeding center. We're going to have releases of captive-born owls. We're going to protect the habitat. And this has been going on and on for a long time. 
Um, and we're, it's still going on and on. And it's been um, more than a decade since the spotted owl was supposed to have had its critical habitat identified and protected in some measure. And that final process has still not happened. And the only reason why there's been action at all is because um, one uh, environmental group and an environmental law charity keep going to the federal government and petitioning the government to step in and make these decisions to protect this creature in British Columbia. And it's put the feds in kind of this unique situation where a pipeline that they own, the Trans-Canada pipeline, is actually cutting down some of the forest that was designated to protect the spotted owl, correct? Yes, and again, very messy and, and complicated. So as the BC government has said, it is taking measures to protect spotted owl habitat and secure enough habitat for 150 spotted owl pairs to survive in the wild. As this is happening, the BC government is also issuing cutting permits to log an old growth spotted owl habitat. And um, Wilderness Committee, an environmental group, recently uh, found out that some of these cutting permits were issued so that the Trans Mountain Pipeline owned by the federal government could be built also through uh, habitat identified by federal scientists as being critical uh, for the survival and recovery of the spotted owl. And again, just to keep it messy, in the last month or so, the federal environment minister, Stephen Gibault, has threatened to have another federal emergency order to help protect the owls, correct? Right. So the environmental law charity EcoJustice, which is acting on behalf of Wilderness Committee, has now twice in recent years petitioned uh, Minister Gilbault to go to cabinet and ask for an emergency order to protect the spotted owl. An emergency order, again, would give cabinet the ability to step in and say, no, you cannot issue these logging permits here. The spotted owl needs this old growth habitat to survive and recover. And um, the uh, Minister Gilbeau, since, since uh, becoming the environment minister, has said on several occasions that the government is going to crack down on provinces that aren't protecting species. And so EcoJustice recently went back to the federal government and asked them to issue this type of emergency order. And in kind of a rare event, because it's only happened a few other times in the history of the Federal Species at Risk Act, Minister Gilbeau said that he would go to cabinet and request that such an emergency order be issued. One of the reasons that this emergency act would have to be, or emergency order, sorry, would have to be enacted, is that despite everything, despite it, the spotted owl, pardon me, is not a protected species in BC, correct? That is correct. So BC has no standalone legislation to protect at-risk species, despite the NDP, which is currently in power in the province, promising that as a campaign promise back in 2017. So that leaves the majority of at-risk species in the province not protected. And they're protected through a mishmash of legislation, which BC's own Auditor General has said is not nearly sufficient um, to save these species from disappearing in the province. Right now, BC has more than 1,300 
species at risk of disappearing in the province, including species like the Vancouver Island marmot, which are found nowhere else in the world. And there's another more than 1,000 species that meet the requirements for listing as at risk, but they've not been, yet been added to the list. So the current legislation and our current policies are, are clearly not up to the task of protecting species and biodiversity in the province. And you mentioned earlier that a lot of other provinces don't have this kind of act either, right? Some of them do. Um, Ontario had very strong legislation, but um, that was uh, gutted by the Doug Ford government to some extent. Nova Scotia has um, fairly strong legislation, but the, the problem is that the provinces that do have legislation to protect at-risk species often don't implement it. So they have legislation, but it's not until often environmental groups work with legal groups to take governments to court that something actually happens. So having all said all this in the mess that is pretty obvious when it comes to the governance of this situation, what's the real hope or is there hope for a species like the spotted owl? Well, I think there there's always hope. Um, of course, I'm an eternal optimist, or I, I wouldn't be in this in this <laughs> business. There's always hope. There's still spotted owl, large spotted owl populations comparatively in the United States, just south of the border. Although the species is in trouble there as well for various reasons, and the breeding efforts at, in British Columbia are very cutting edge. This has never been attempted before. Nobody else in the world has bred the spotted owl in captivity, and they have met with some success. They have been breeding owls. It's been uh, very experimental. However, the problem is that the in BC, the spotted owl is now caught up in something called the extinction vortex, where there's so few individuals left that the chances are that they are related to each other. There's, the center's always trying to bring in some new blood to augment the gene pool. It becomes very difficult to maintain a population once so few individuals are left. There's also instances where other bird species have been brought back from the brink of extinction, like the California condor, and um, that's, a, that's a success story. Other species that aren't bird species, like the swift fox and the prairie. So it is entirely possible. Anything can be done with, with will and determination and science and, and money. Um, I would say that, that what is largely lacking in British Columbia right now is the political will. And not just as regards the spotted owl, although the government at the very last minute is certainly stepping up and, and taking some action here, but it, it's very, very late in the game. So yeah, we're, we're just, we're, we're letting so many species become so depleted and get so close to disappearing in the province. Southern mountain caribou are another example. And we're really leaving it to the last minute to try to do something when, of course, it's so much more expensive and so much more difficult. And as many people have pointed out, we, we just need to find a balance so that we can have development, we can have some form of logging, perhaps it's second growth logging at this point in time with very little old growth left in BC, but still maintain 
species and still have biodiversity. We're just going to have to get those American owls landed immigrant status. That's all we're going to have to move. <laughs> the, cent the center actually has a few uh, owls from I'm sure states. they do. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a pretty obvious solution for a non-science guy. It's like, well, we'll just move a few of them up. That's all. That's right. I, I saw one of them at the breeding center, and it was from Oregon, and its name was Oregon. Um, so Oregon has helped to augment the captive gene pool, and they brought up another one. I think it was uh, last year or the year before from California, um, an owl that had been, uh, I think, injured by a car and, and was blind and went eye, and that owl's name is Callie. So, um, yeah, they are definitely trying to make an effort to, to augment the gene pool. But as I said, it is very late in the game here. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that process, though. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, the, the, what, what, this, what this center does for rehabilitation. Like, how, like, what a unique kind of program. Yeah, so they started in 2006, 2007 with about six spotted owls that were brought in from the wild from various parts of British Columbia. And as it was explained to me that they thought, okay, well, um, this won't be too hard. Other species have bred easily in captivity. Look at the California condor, although that was not without its own issues. But um, we'll, we'll put the owls in, in spacious aviaries, We'll wait for them to breed. We'll look after their chicks so that they you know, don't get killed off right away. And then we'll reintroduce the species to the wild. Well, things didn't go as anticipated. Spotted owls did not uh, just breed easily in captivity. And so a decision was made to start incubating the eggs. So the eggs are removed from the nest and brought into um, a laboratory into, uh, inc into incubators where they're monitored virtually around the clock and a dummy egg is put into the nest, uh, including sometimes e either a store-bought chicken egg or a robotic egg that measures things like temperature and humidity and how many times the female owl turns the egg. And so, yeah, again, like very complicated. Again, in the wild, spotted owls prey largely on pack rats and flying squirrels. In the center, they, they're breeding also um, rats and mice to feed to the owls. The rats and mice are euthanized and left on fleet feeding platforms for the owls. They uh, keep very close tracks of the genetics, who's related to who. They try to match owls based on their genetics. Um, one issue that they've encountered at the breeding center is just how long it takes spotted owls uh, to breed. They just don't seem that interested sometimes in breeding, even when males and females are sharing the same aviary. But they have managed to move things along to a certain extent. They have learned through trial and error how to hatch eggs in incubators, how to uh, keep chicks alive for the first very vital 10 days of their lives. They dissect little pieces of rat and, and feed them rat muscle at first on, on tweezers. They look after the chicks and then the chicks are either returned to the nest or if they think that the parents might lay another clutch of eggs, they're given to foster parents. And as much as spotted owls have not proven to be prolific breeders in captivity, they've proven to be excellent foster parents. And as soon as a chick appears in the nest, the foster parents will peer at it and then they will fly off and 
bring it back some food. So they've been great foster parents. And again, everything is a learning curve. It's not like they can look in a textbook and figure out how to do these things. It's not like they can Google. It's all a, a big learning curve as many people work really hard to try to bring back this species. Yeah, and it's amazing. I did a podcast last year with um, the people involved in the Clinzy Zaw Caribou Herd. And it, it's, it's just an amazing thing to hear these stories and what seems to be a fairly simple process. It isn't. It's just not because it's not it's no longer natural, I guess, is the easiest way to explain it. But just fascinating. It's amazing to me that the amount of work and effort that goes into trying to, you know, propagate the species. It's incredible. It's a huge amount of work and effort. And there are many, many dedicated people working on every species from spotted owls to, to the Clinzies I heard. I've actually had the had a wonderful opportunity to visit that pen on the top of a mountain in, in the Peace region. And that is a very hopeful story. You were asking about hopeful stories. Well, that would certainly be one of them where they've basically brought a caribou herd, a spiritually important caribou herd back from the brink of extinction through very intensive efforts and by putting a lot of, of money into it as well. And that's an Indigenous-led uh, program. And BC has recently made maybe a little bit of a change in how they're going to manage their forests which involves more of an indigenous input, correct? Yes, that's that's correct. Um, yeah, and the the Klinzizaw project is is led by the Soto and West Moberly First Nations, and it was very much started by them in the absence of government stepping in to try to save this herd. And so again, there there are signs of of slow change in British Columbia in terms of how remaining old growth forests are managed. Again, when you leave things very late, it's much more difficult, it's much more costly, sometimes much messier. Uh, there's definitely been signs that that the BC government is, is taking steps to improve management of old growth forests, especially by giving Indigenous communities a much bigger role. And where I think we really haven't seen a lot of progress yet is in how species at risk are managed and in how biodiversity can be protected in this province before we get to a situation where there's there's just one wild-born spotted owl left. And like you said, there's so many species, but it seems to be our, our general approach to the environment and has been for many decades now including climate change and all these other things that we know is happening. And we keep kind of pushing it back and pushing it back and pushing it back until we have to do something, right? Yes. And it's just, I guess it's the, you know, it goes back to the analogy of the, the frog and the boiling pot of water where we as a, as our, as a species, just that's what we're doing with climate change. And now with biodiversity losses, we're just kind of boiling ourselves in this pot of water very slowly. And uh, we just need to, to shift the paradigm and, and be able to address these things, you know, before the water gets to a boiling point. Right. Now, you are writing a book about this mess, correct? Yes, I, I'm just, fingers crossed, hopefully finishing soon. Uh, a book that looks at the crazy things that we're doing to try to um, save species at the very last minute in Canada and, and crazy expensive things as well. And 
just kind of how we can possibly begin to turn things around. And that'll be out early next year. Does that mean the spotted owl is not the craziest story that we have going for this stuff? Well, there are quite a few crazy stories out there, but there's also a lot of very dedicated people working in their own communities with or without governments. A lot of um, absolutely dedicated biologists across the country working to try to protect species. People in Nova Scotia who are trying to protect uh, forests by finding at-risk lichen species. They go out on lichen searching missions and every time they find a lichen species, there's a buffer zone that's required around it and they're saving, you know, 50 hectares of forest at a time this way. So they're, they're amazing initiatives right across uh, right across the country right now. And it's that's actually what, what gives me hope and, and heartens me. I look forward to reading that book. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sarah. That was great. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks to producer Sarah Simpson and Alina Simpson of Media Made Manageable for their help this week. Theme music and sound logo by John Sanfilippo of Soundwise in Kingston, Ontario. Make sure to tell a friend about the podcast. Send them over to the podcast page at northernlatitudes.ca. You can reach me at Bill at northernlatitudes.ca. I'm Bill Alt. Find your way to Northern Latitudes. Northern Latitudes.